Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast. My name is Mike Navina, and thanks for hanging out with me today. Today, my guest is Joe Reinhardt, and if you're not familiar with him, he is an engineer, producer, mixer, and multi-instrumentalist from Philadelphia. He is a co-owner of Headroom Studios, where he's worked with artists such as Joyce Manor, Modern Baseball, Beach Bunny, The Sonderbombs, and so many more. And in this conversation, we have a great chat all about the records that Joe has made and his process for recording and producing bands. And we get into this really great conversation about the topic of templates and how to build templates that offer a lot of flexibility. You know, one of the biggest things that a lot of people argue against when it comes to this idea of building and using templates is that people think that their their songs will all sound the same. But when you hear how Joe's built his template, I think you're going to realize that there can be a lot of flexibility in it. And, you know, when you build proper templates, it allows you to just work fast, smart, get the sounds that you want quicker, and to still have the options that will make songs sound different. You know, templates on their own aren't going to make everything sound the same. I really disagree with that argument. But if you ever thought that, I think you're going to find it very helpful to hear how Joe's got his stuff set up because it's a little different than most people think about when it comes to building their template. So with that said, I think you're going to find this episode really exciting. I think you're going to learn a ton from it. Joe's just such a fun guy, great attitude, great energy. So I think you're going to really enjoy this one. So let's just jump right into it. Joe Reinhardt, thank you so much for being on the Master Your Mix podcast. How's it going, man? It's feeling great to be on the Master Your Mix podcast. Thank you. Thank you, man. Well, for people who might not be familiar with you, can you give us a little bit of your background on who you are, how you got into audio and all the cool stuff you're working on these days? Wow, that's a... It's a loaded question. I how, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll start with day one. Uh, I think I saw the basket case video, Green Day, and I was like, "That's fast. That's catchy. I've never heard anything that sounded like that before. Uh, what's up with this?" And I was like, "Oh, the guitar." You know, uh, my dad had an acoustic guitar. I grabbed that. Uh, that parlayed into. Uh, his friend had an electric that he gave me and then my friend got an electric around the same time then our other friend did and we took his sister's karaoke machine and started singing into it we found some drums in the trash now we have a band we're making demos on a <laughs> talk boy and this is probably we're in sixth grade yeah at this point yeah uh I love I love that you mentioned the talk boy I think that yeah. I think you're the first person on this podcast to mention recording with that oh that was <laughs> that was I thought I invented multi-tracking. We would uh, record the drums, bass, and guitar with the Talkboy. And then we put the Talkboy tape in a boombox. You know, the boombox that everybody oh, yeah. had, which is the two cassettes. Play it out of that, overdub the lead guitar and vocals, and record it into a new Talkboy tape. Love it. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, so that, I can't find the demo. I've looked. I've, I've looked through every like tape I have. I don't know where it is. If, and for people me. who don't know what a Talkboy is, just go back and watch Home Alone. I think that was like that was what invented the, to the Talkboy, as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah, like, that's where yeah. that's where it first got discovered. So yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was a, it was a gateway drug from there. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. 
I, I love that that you like picked up on it that young and uh, that like yeah you were talking about the the Green Day basket case video and that that was definitely like yeah we as we were talking about before like we're kind of around the same age and and that was definitely like a a big video for me as well and Green Day was my first concert my uncle took me there like to to see them when I was like ten which was amazing and you know got definitely got that bug going so I I, I can certainly relate to that. That's yeah, awesome. it wasn't until later that I had friends with like older brothers and sisters that would be like, yo, here's here's what no effects is. Or, you know what, here's like these other like not on the radio punk things. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the first time I ever heard that, that just that sound, like how like like nailsy and biting it is mm-hmm. and just like how in your face it is. And, you know, I remember my friends. uh my friend telling me his older brother says it's called punk. And like, that was the first time I heard that. And I was like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Not that I still only listen to green day, but, uh, <laughs> Fair. No, yeah. but, it, but Hey, we all have that band. That's kind of like our, our gateway in, you know? Yeah. And amazing. so that, that excited me. And I, after that was just a need to do it yourself. You know, we needed to record something. So we recorded something. I think umpiring baseball games and, mowing lawns and whatever it was scraped my way to uh, a four track a Tascam X7 uh, Fostex X77 maybe this summer between 8th grade and high school maybe in 8th grade I don't remember where I was at that point but yeah that was recording all the bands we could find we started a little record label uh at eighth grade, that's amazing. Just, just trying to do it all. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> like, uh, it was, it was bad on all accounts. But it was, uh, it was what needed to be done. No, for sure. You have to, you have to have those like early years of making some bad recordings and just, you know, hoping for the best and just learning, right? And yeah, it sounds like you were doing it. You were learning it all yourself too. So yeah, when you're young and you're you're figuring it out, like yeah, you're gonna make some bad recordings. It reminds me, like yeah, like when some of my earliest recordings, like I. Oh man, like I cringe when I listen back to them, but uh, it's funny that, that the very first band I ever recorded, like 18 years later, I came back to them. Like, I still know those guys really well. And I was like, guys, I feel like I ripped you off so bad back in the day, like making that first record. And I, we actually did record like the first song we did, we re-recorded it again, like a couple of years ago. And uh, it's amazing to see that progress you, you make, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's fun. Yeah. So yeah, you started like you were on this uh, Fostax recorder. You were kind of learning it all yourself. Um, take us from there. Like, you know, was it was that it was like it was just like at that point it was game on. I'm becoming a professional recording engineer. Like, was that the game plan or, you know, how did that how did that evolve for you? The the game plan was always playing, you know, being the musician. Yeah, that's it still excites me the most. But a close second is just still being in that world. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to make money off of playing music solely. So it's like, well, if I have to have another job or I have to have another source of income or any income because playing music doesn't make me any money, uh, I still want to be around it. I still want to immerse myself in, in it in any way, shape or form. And so recording was just that. Yeah, that's amazing. And obviously, I mean, it sounds like there were enough local bands around you at that time to be able to keep busy with it or to at least keep your chops up, I'm guessing, right? Oh, yeah, we were pretty fortunate. Like growing up, we grew up in Yardley, PA, which is uh, in traffic 50 minutes to Philly. And just like those suburbs just 
VFW hall shows, just uh, all the way to the basements in Philly. Like the the suburbs just like oozed bands. Like there was it was it was just always happening, and uh, just being at the shows and shooting the shit and talking to people, being like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll record your demo." It's like, "Oh, well, we got this side project. Record that." I was like, "Okay, I don't care. Yeah, I'll record that too." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a good friend of mine from from Philly, and yeah, he always talks about that that scene there. And he's like, "Yeah, everyone everyone had a band, and then everyone had a side project, and like it was just like it was a good time. Lots lots of music going on in that that community at that time." Yeah, back when time existed, and there was yeah. a lot of it. <laughs> when you didn't need a real job and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably what it was. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so then, did you ever like? Did you ever have a mentor at all throughout the process of learning this stuff, or was it? It was all just self taught and just trial and error. Uh, yeah, no, I've had mentors. Uh, I'd say the a lot of trial and error until about I went. I can't forget when I met him, but uh, I went to Drexel University for recording. I actually went to a bunch of schools for recording, but I kept dropping out to either do recording or go on tour or do something. So going to college took forever. And if I had to go for something, I went for music technology or whatever the hell the track was called. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there, the guy who ran the studios I was like, gotta make friends with that motherfucker. <laughs> he he has the key. He's gonna get me in there. And he ended up being uh, a lifelong, really best friend, uh, Ryan Schwab. Uh, and yeah, he lives down the street. And to this day, you know, we were texting this morning about plugins and you know, when we're gonna hang out and get a beer and stuff. So I've learned a lot from him, and also like my peers, like the recording community in Philly is like. it's not like cutthroat or anything. I don't know what it's like in other cities, but like we all know each other. We're all friendly. Some of us are very friendly. It's like, yo, I'm recording this band that I'm really excited about. I was like, can I borrow your U67 so I can have two (laughs) and use them as overheads? Yeah, totally, man. Like uh, I need it on this day, but come and grab it. You know, like uh, just shooting the shit with my friends who do the same thing. I learned a lot from too. I love that. It, it, I mean, being involved in a community of like-minded people is such a such a crucial thing, right? Especially like, yeah, just like you said, like collaborating. Like, I think that that's so cool. And and you know, the idea of like collaboration versus competition to me, it's like I totally am on like agree with that. You know, so it's it's great to be part of yeah, a scene where people are just that supportive and you know helping each other out. That's great. Definitely, you're definitely going to grow fast that way. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's like. Uh... So-and-so will get the project that I wanted. But on a different day, like, we'll be like, yo, I'm too busy to mix this. Can you can you mix this thing? You know, so it's like, it's, yeah, it feels good. That's amazing. Yeah. Love it, man. Cool. So, yeah, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to dive into, like, some of your process a little bit. And um, I know that you do, like, a lot of your credits, you, you kind of are, like, the guy who does everything. You'll do the production, the recording, the editing, mixing, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think let's, let's maybe start from the production side of things. Um, when it comes to working with a new artist, how like how involved do you like to get in in production? And, like, are you getting involved in the songwriting stage of it? Or are you kind of letting bands do their own thing there? Like, what, what, what do you see as your role of the producer? It's always a conversation. And it usually changes throughout once we get rolling. You know, I I see it as my job to fill in where I think there's a gap or where the gaps exist. And sometimes it's not at all on a track. And sometimes it's a train wreck. And I feel like I need to sort of 
make the train go. But uh, the first thing we'll do is just talk and I'll be like, hey, if you're interested, since we're doing this record together, uh, make demos, send them to me, and I will very meticulously go through them and give you all of my notes on everything for every song. And it takes me a really long time to do, and it's usually a pretty long conversation afterwards. Uh, and again, I'm not nitpicking things to nitpick things. Like some of the songs I'll leave alone. No notes, 10 out of 10, release the demo. You know, <laughs> like yeah, let's not, not even record not, this. This is perfect. Yeah, you're, you're not being hired to make up excuses for things. Yeah. Like, you know, if a song is a good song, then it's a good song. <laughs> no, yeah, it's like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I don't even care how it sounds. I shouldn't be saying that, but I don't because it's awesome. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so it could just be like, hey, you know, what is the the kick pattern here exactly like because throughout the part it feels like it keeps changing like let's maybe we shouldn't be worrying about the fills and like let's figure out what the groove is or the you get it whatever the it might be hey this bridge is dragging like maybe we cut it in half and the hi-hat goes to 16ths instead of eighths or what whatever whatever the conversation might take us and i always tell the band that it's totally up to them what they want to do with this information I'm like, you can take it. You can be like, great idea. Let's do it. Terrible idea. It's great the way it is. Or what I like is when it becomes like a conversation, a back and forth thing, or at least it gets them thinking, hey, maybe I don't like his idea of this one thing, but he is right. There's something about this part that maybe needs to come or go or change or, you know, I'm just trying to arm them with info. And that'll continue throughout the whole the whole thing i'll be like hey it this i know you want this part to sound big but everybody playing the same thing might not be the way to make it sound big like let's somebody needs to drop out a beat here just trying to help them get to where they want to go and it's totally up to them i have no like ego in the issue like the way i see it they're paying me for any help i can give for sure i think it's really good though to like establish that early on like okay, I've got some ideas, take them or leave them. Or like, you know, what's my role here? Do you, do you just want me to hit press buttons and hit, hit record? Or do you want me to actually have some actual input? You know? So yeah, that's, that's good to have those conversations. What kind of things would you say you typically hear in a lot of demos that you might go back and forth with the artists on? Like, what are some of those common problems that you see with, with people's songs? With drumming, it's, it's overplaying. And, uh, just people not really serving listening to each other or only listening like like the guitar player wrote the song so everybody's playing to the guitar player and hitting every cadence the guitar player is doing and like that's totally sick if it's the ramones but (laughs) if it's something with some other kind of nuance or something trying to sound hip uh like an emo band doesn't need to hit every beat of this crazy guitar riff like let's it, I, I always think of it as like it's 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 a puzzle and if all the puzzles are the exact same fucking piece then you, it just is a stupid pile and it's not going to like spread out and feel big uh so I, I i always hear people really focusing on their own parts which obviously you're supposed to do but like how it interacts with other people's parts and it's definitely a product i think of like where you're practicing because if you're in like this basement or this like tiny room and everything's like sounds crazy. And the only way to make a part feel bigger is to 
play harder or like hit the kick in the snare at the same time or play bass chords or turn on the big muff like that might not always make it feel bigger once like things are crisp and punchy and in a recording environment and the low end's going all over the place like i think that's why like i think with like bands like start transitioning to like bigger rooms then they can hear like the openness and like hear what the low ones doing it like yo that song we have where like it's like mid-tempo and like the bass is dropping out for some hits like that song sounds fucking amazing when we play at like you know in one of these big clubs and then our other songs that are just chaos like sound like fucking chaos <laughs> <laughs> so th that's it just trying to get them to be like hey this is like different than where you wrote it what do you think and if you like it the way it is cool you're probably right it's your band but this is how i'm hearing it yeah no i totally agree with that and i think that it's what i hear often is that it's like like you said like people are playing their own parts they're focusing on their own stuff and it isn't really until they actually demo their music that they finally hear what other people are doing because yeah they're in those like these little rehearsal spaces that are just so loud and they you know it's impossible to make out any detail so it's like it i i, I agree with you like bands should always be trying to at least make some sort of demo to listen back because it's the easiest way to actually pick apart what's happening and, and have the drummer lock in with the bass player or, you know, make sure the guitar players are playing the same strumming patterns and stuff like that. And, you know, really pick up on like those little details that make a band sound tight. Cause yeah, if you're just in a, a noisy room, it's, you're going to lose all those details. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I, I, I agree with that. Like that's definitely the thing that I see happen the most too. Yeah. People aren't just paying attention to anyone else in the band, but themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's different when like a group of people come in and just play and I'm just like recording this sick band for three days and they just like rip out a, an LP because everybody just is mature and locked and maybe it's chaotic and maybe it's a little sloppy, but that's the charm. And I love that too. But it seems like the rest of the time people have this vision and it's our job to help get them there. Of course. Do you find that that happens more so with bands who are recording their first record with you? Or like, does it still happen on the second record? Like, do you feel like they learn their lesson after, after like experiencing it once in the studio? With me? Yeah. Yes, totally. I've definitely had bands come with their second record and uh, it always makes you smile. They're like, yeah, we kind of were thinking of you like when we were writing this being like, I don't know, I think Joe would say this. And they'd be like, yeah, Joe would say that. And so they, they come <laughs> back in. I'm like, wow, this is this is, I love you guys. This is amazing that y'all nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, made, that always makes me really happy when they say shit like that. <laughs> yeah. The studio is definitely like a learning environment as well as like a creative place too, you know? So, yeah. Cause uh, I mean, I'm not recording uh, the next Coldplay record. Like I'm recording, I'm always like the new signing guy or like the second record guy. Like let's take it to the next, what's next for this band? What can they do next? So like there is always like a, perfect element of youth with an enthusiasm and learning to be had with these bands that I have. And I'm, I'm not trying to squash that by any means, but you know what I mean? Like just try to tidy it up a bit. <laughs> of course. Yeah. There's a magic there in that energy that the band yes. comes in with. Right. Yes. Yeah. Especially on those, those like earlier records where they've had more time to, to like really just work on these songs and get, get like the best versions of them and yeah they're just excited to get in the studio and move forward with their career so yeah it's definitely an exciting time for for most bands it is it is and i make a lot of friends that i'm a lot of people i'm still like friends with like we had a blast we connected you know that's great yeah so i know that this is a loaded question then but 
when it comes to analyzing these songs and coming up with your notes and that kind of stuff, how do you decide like what makes a good song? What makes a song sound like it should, as opposed to like a song that needs work? Well, that's why I always tell people, Hey, anything I say to you is just my opinion. Like I'm not right. You're right. It's your band. It's your song. It's your vision. I'm only telling you what I think and what I like. And my opinion is all I have. And it's all you have. It's what makes your band special because it's what you like to do. So I, I don't have like a formula. I either just I gravitate towards it or I don't. This part, I don't get it. But if you believe in it, let's roll with it. And sometimes they're like, yeah, you're right. It's kind of whatever. And I'm like, okay, cool. Or they're like, I don't know. It, it makes the whole up and down of the song really jump for me. And I'm like, great, cool. I'll follow your lead. I'm in. So it's, it's, it's really just my opinion, <laughs> which sounds silly, but. No, that makes sense though, right? Sometimes yeah. it's like, sometimes if, if a band can justify why they played the parts they did, then like they obviously have intention behind it. And it's good to know that intention. Whereas like you might suggest something and then realize that the band's like, oh yeah, that was just like that throwaway part that we just quickly wrote just because we needed a bridge or something like that. And like, okay, maybe we can spend some time working on this a little bit, you know? So totally. <laughs> you sometimes uncover those little, those little things and, and uh, yeah, it helps you shape those songs a little bit stronger. Um, do you typically record bands like live off the floor or are you the kind of person that does everything like tracking everyone separately? What's your normal approach there? It's situational. Yep. It depends on the band. Like I, I always start with everybody playing together and we're miking everything like we're keeping it. Uh, so see where that goes. And if at some point it's apparent that like, I don't know, maybe the, the bass player is not really hearing things right in their headphones and they need a little bit of time to like, take a deep breath, sit down and like have a blast them in the face with the monitors and turn up the kick drum and like talk about parts. Then we'll do that. Or it's like, we get the, the all the rhythm tracks and it's like, I don't know. I feel great about this. Everybody else. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but at least when we're making decisions, I want to hear the whole band playing back. I don't want to just like the drummer to be playing to a click or the rhythm guitar player. Cause like, we're going to talk about things. We're like, how does this part make you feel? Like when we get here, like this transition seems like everybody just sort of smashes into a wall and then this next part happens. Like, yeah, we, we I, I want to like have them go play it. Then we'll go listen to it, talk about it, make any changes. And then we come back in and see if it worked or not. And whether we're keeping the guitar or whatever, I don't know, but it's more so about getting the foundation solid for me. For sure. How far in advance do you usually do all of your pre-production notes? As soon as they get me demos, and a deposit because <laughs> it takes me a really long time to do. And I, yeah, no, I don't want to, it, it could, it, yeah, it takes me a really long time to do the pre-pro stuff. And I just want to like have dates on the calendar and like have my, cause I need to put it into like my calendar, just the pre-pro, like, you know, work on some of these songs today. And I can only do so many songs a day cause it's fairly, it's like a little draining. Like I'll do like four songs a day tops and then go into mixing or writing or something. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're you're definitely putting a lot of consideration to your notes, and you're not just like you know, randomly suggesting parts for the sake of having a note. Yeah, so yeah, yeah makes sense. Uh, do you do you find that you'll you'll take those demos sometimes and like rearrange them and like do that kind of thing on on your side just to see if like an arrangement works better one way or another? I have, but it's not so often. Cool. I'd lo I'd love to shift over to to the mixing side of things because I know you do a lot of that as well. Um, 
so I'd love to know, like, when when you start a mix, similar to the question about production, like, when you start a mix, what's your typical mindset going into that? Like, how do you start? Where do you start? What's what's that normal workflow look like? I think it depends if I'm if I tracked it or not. Depends on the year, but I'm probably half and half mixing things I tracked, mixing things other people tracked. Um, if it's mine, I just dig in. I know what I want. I just start turning things. I start I start going to the problem area and making it not a problem area for me anymore. Uh, so I can just listen and then find the next thing that's like tugging your ear. Uh, with other people's stuff, I, I do have a mixed template. Uh, that obviously changes, but I'll have, I, I have like, I'm big with like plugin presets. So like I'll have, let's just say, for example, let's just say a drum reverb on that drum reverb. I'll probably have two or three drum reverbs, but within those two or three drum reverbs, like I'll have my favorite two small rooms or favorite three small rooms. And they'll all be uh volume match. So when I like bypass them and go between them, like, I can just hear what that drum reverb is doing, that small room drum reverb is doing without any volume change. Oh, that's the vibe for this one. And then maybe obviously tweak it, but just give me just so I'm not like flipping through a bunch of reverbs and picking the one that's louder because it's more in my face. And then I'll have a, a long room or a delay or whatever. And then I'll blend those. But either way, like something will be up. I'll get the whole mix going and then. With uh, I've, I have the uh, SSL uh, UF8 controller. Yep. So I'll just use the uh, and so I'll have the uh, the VCAs. So I'll just get a quick mix using VCAs with you know drums, bass, guitars, whatever. And then once it's like sounds like loud, punchy, ballpark, like not ballpark, but like listenable not just like roughs from whatever they sent me uh i'll usually walk away come back then hit play where i can just like listen to it all together and see what's up but the template is is big because it sort of just gets things like crispier and how i like it right off the bat and obviously a bazillion changes to be made within that but it's helpful to just have that like be able to pop off the speakers a little bit on an early listen and then make yeah. the decisions. Like obviously, we've all had this conversation. You know what? What? What is important in this mix? Yeah, I, I love that idea of like having a template that has options in it because it's not just about not just about like having the same plugin all the time or the same sound all the time. It's like yeah, you're you're able to like quickly audition sounds to see what works best for for the song and the fact that you've gained gain matched everything already. That that's great. Um, yeah, that's really cool because I think you know. I teach a lot about building templates as well. And, and one of the biggest things that I hear people argue is like, well, isn't a template going to make everything sound all like cookie cutter and all the same? And it's like, not really, because you're working with different songs, different different tempos, different, uh, you know, tones and all this stuff. And yeah, I mean, I guess if you have a, if you have a template that has all of those different options in there, then that, that opens up the world of opportunities even further. So it's not, yeah, like it's about working fast. And I think that's that's the biggest reason for using templates is like, just to get up and running quickly as opposed to like, you know, spending hours just building your session and finding the right plugin and this and that. But if you, if you have your go-to things that you, that you know, and you trust and you can choose between different options and that that's definitely going to help you get a, a fast result using stuff that you're comfortable and familiar with. What do you, what are some of your, well, what do you preach about mixed templates? 
Uh, you know, for me, it's it's really about like being organized. You know, I think having like your having your your plugins already in there, having your routing all set up. I think that's a really big part of it, and just making sure that you're consistent with it. Like you know, having putting your your tracks at a similar level every time so that your compressors react the same way and you know like that kind of stuff because that's where i think a lot of people mess up their templates is that they they'll have something and then they just throw random tracks in there that all come at different levels and then then you're kind of like dismantling that template or trying to trying to reverse engineer it to to work for the song um but i think if you just gain stage everything then then all of a sudden your 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 compressors work the way they're supposed to and you know you might even have a rough balance already with your faders and stuff like that and i think that's going to allow you to just get that that sound that that rough mix at least you know way quicker right but uh yeah i but I, I kind of do the same thing as you where like i'll have multiple you know options for reverbs and you know i i, I love to do like i'll have multiple um i i really love like using distortion on bass and, and like using some amp sims on bass and so i'll typically have a few different bass tracks and as soon as i bring in a bass for for a mix like i'll just drag it to each each track just to see okay this one this one sounds better this one you know like i do it that way just to work really quick that, that way um so it's kind of a similar approach but i love that do you find that's quicker than just having the uh plugins on one track and then being able to bypass them sometimes because uh, i just because then i don't I, then i can what i could do is like i'll have my i'll have my plugin chain that i like uh you know with my different amp sim on there and um i don't have to like go dismantle or like removing plugins or anything like that i just highlight the tracks hit delete and it's quick and quick and easy for me i don't know i find that easier personally but the, the nice thing about this is that there's so many different ways to do the same thing right yeah so okay. <laughs> yeah that's cool i but i but i don't hear too many people talking about having those options in their templates so um yeah very very cool to hear i like that a lot it was like parallel compressors like i'll have like three sitting there and just you know maybe one's a distortion so there'll be like, I'll have my two compressors as a parallel and I'll just audition them real quick. I'm like, eh, and then I'll pull up the distortion. Maybe I'll have two of the distortions. And again, it's all in the same, it's all in the same inserts. They're just bypassed or yeah. made inactive. I do that with compressors often. Like I'll have a couple of different versions of a compressor, like on a vocal. I might have like a, an optical, like LA2A, and then I might have an 1176 or something like that. And I'll audition that way. Um, but yeah, for certain like things where it's like a tonal change overall, that that's when I'll put it on separate tracks, I guess. Right. Yeah. That's when I. That's when I'll do like the parallel. So if I'm being like yeah. extremely uh, aggressive with whatever I'm mutating, like that's on the parallel, and then I'll have different options for that. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, as far as like your, so you put everything into your template, you got all these options and you're cycling through things. Um, do you find that you typically work in a specific order? Like, do you always tackle the drums first or the vocals first or that kind of thing? Or is it just kind of whatever is catching your attention as a problem first? The first thing I'll do is auto align the drums. You know, that plugin. I, I know it, but I haven't ever, ever used it. It's, I mean, did you like drag phase relations things to drums ever yeah it's this is that but it's a plugin check it out it's yeah. you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's fucking sick uh and, and you'll have them all going and you it takes a sec but as soon as you bypass them you're like oh my god holy hell the drums just boop and sometimes it's a huge boop and sometimes it's just like oh that's a little more chunky that's better but i've never yeah. i've never been like is that better <laughs> uh, but that's the only thing I always do first, and then after that, it's whatever's it's whatever's rubbing me. It's whatever feels after there's a balance. 
a ballpark balance. It's like whatever is the first thing that's like, I cannot concentrate on other things until this gets fixed. And maybe it's, I have to immediately start automating the vocal because it's all over the place or. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It's good to have that. Like, I think having a consistent process or at least like having, having a consistent starting point is, is really key. Cause then, you know, it kind of points in the right direction of where to go first, you know, as opposed to like the people that are just like, they aimlessly search for problems, and then because of because they have no clear path or, or no no clear process, they just find themselves in this giant rabbit hole of finding and creating new problems in their minds, and you know, just takes forever to finish a mix if you do that. Oh, rabbit holes! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how how long do you find it takes you to normally finish a mix? Depending, honestly, let's call it twelve hours. Okay. Like a a day, a, I mean, including recalls. If they're recalls, I'd say the whole thing is six to twelve hours. Occasionally fourteen. If it's like a massive production, you know, it could be a day and a half mm-hmm. deal. Because like you do the first day, and then it's like you got to come back the second day and just start automating things like crazy because there's stuff everywhere. Uh, it really depends. Yeah, I, I'm fairly. I mean, that's a long time. So I'm, I'm slow and meticulous. Hey, but to each of their own, right? Yeah. I wish I was faster. I really do. It takes so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's got their own thing, right? And, and I guess there's lots of different ways to to speed up the process if you, if you want to get into, like, you know, macros or templates and, you know, going down that rabbit hole for sure. Uh, you, there's ways to speed it up. But uh, but at the end of the day, as long as you're getting that meticulous sound, that, that's all that matters right, with it, right? Um, is, is there, like... Is there a point, like, how do, how do you know when a mix is done? Is there a specific point in your process where you're like, okay, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, it's done? Or or what does that look like for you? How do you know, how do you know when to call it quits? I don't know if I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a deadline. Or, yo, this rips. If you think it rips, we're good here. Like, yeah. I, I'm usually confident in what I'm handing in especially if like we've already done a round of notes i'm like i feel great about this if there's anything you want holler yeah so it's more of like getting the 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 artist's approval that kind of thing yeah like yeah. i always try to give it like uh i'll send it at 95 percent because i don't want to get a note back being like this particular vibe thing is wrong which is very rare like to have something that large but yeah. Yeah, your ninety five percent might be a hundred percent or it might be fifty percent on the artist side. So right. you know that it's it's good to have those check ins to see where they're at with it and make sure that everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, very cool. So I'll, I'll, it'll usually be like a first mix I'll send out, and then we'll like go back and forth with that. And then once we have that first song, that's probably like a good representation of the record. Like maybe not the hit, but not the slowest song, not the fastest song has a little bit of everything. Then I'll go and do the whole entire record and send that to them. Yeah. Very cool. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about when it comes to your productions is that like when I listen to bands like Beach Bunny or the Sonderbombs who you worked with, like when I listen to those albums, what really caught my attention about those albums specifically is that they tend to have these like really big choruses. But what's interesting about them is that 
if you listen to the guitars, they tend to be very clean. And I think like in most like rock style music, most people would just throw on distortion for choruses and call it, you know, it's now a chorus, it's louder, right? But what I really liked about those those records is that they tend to be like clean guitars. And it's it's kind of unique to hear that, um, especially in that, that kind of genre. Um, so I'm curious to know, like when it comes to creating, you know, a chorus that sounds big, even with a clean guitar, like what's... How do you go about doing that? Like, what's what's the trick to making that work and and not making it feel like it is just a continuation of the verse and and you know that that same amount of energy? You know, like how do you, how do you get the, that lift out of the courses? Automation. <laughs> uh, I mean, not just to boop the the volume, although I also do that. Uh, lots of parallels, and I'll change what the maybe the parallel is. I'll add width. I'll change. I'll make the the reverbs and delays bigger. Like just lots of like, if it's steady at a point, if the instruments aren't changing, all the extra things I'm doing to the instrument could change. Like maybe I'll do a, a side shelf automation on the music bus by like half a DB. So everything just gets half a DB brighter on the sides and, and I'll, yeah, that maybe I'll put a, a widener on the vocal reverb so that feels bigger maybe the uh, maybe i'll throw in another parallel for the guitars it's just like making the is distortion so you're hearing mm-hmm. the 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 attack and the chiminess and the 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 buzzcocks or the clashness of the string attack but like you're getting that meatiness underneath it and then i'll take it out when it goes back to the verse so it may not, gotcha. you, you, your ear won't go to like, oh, it got more distorted, but like it's in there. Yeah, it's just, it's just like tucked in there just for the, the fatness and the warmth yeah. that it provides. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I heard. But like, yeah, it was always the, the, the main guitar, especially with those two, two artists. It's like the, the, the main guitar would always be the clean one that, I would, that would get my attention. And yeah, I'm just so used to hearing like, you know, bands just crank on a distortion pedal for the chorus or whatever. Um, so yeah, I thought that was really cool to, to hear. And it, um, I think there's something cool about clean guitars in the sense that like when you're getting to like those bigger choruses, like, you, yeah, like you said, you have that attack there and you get that definition and it's not just a, a wall of fuzz. You know, there's, there's like the intricate details of the guitar there. So it's very cool. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe there is a distorted guitar in the middle. Maybe we didn't have time. Maybe we were going to record a bigger guitar there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or maybe it is a different guitar, but it's just like a little more dirty than the first one. Yeah, that, that's fair. Or maybe it's like a different pickup or something like that. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Do you have any uh, like go-to setups that you like to use when it comes to getting nice, clean guitar sounds? I bring like tools that I might need. Tape flashlight i have like a little kit that i'll bring if we're not going to my studio uh which is often of things but the only piece of gear i bring is the uh uh double barrel by uh jhs it's uh basically it's a tube screen it's like a souped up tube screamer on one side which i use occasionally uh but the other side is How's it called? I'm drawing a blank on the name of the other side, but it's a, it's just a plexi clone pretty much. So it's just, it's, it's just, it's grit and you, 
and a lot of definition. That's very cool. So it, that's just like a pedal that has like those two kind of simulate or two, um, I guess, forms of distortion or gain or whatever to them. Transparent overdrive, basically. And I'll use that to push that. That'll that I'll, if I'm not where I want to be in a quick amount of time with the guitar tone, I might immediately grab that and just start stacking things on top of that. Like usually I'll, we'll pick the amp, we'll pick the guitar and then I'll have just like a table of pedals next to me that I run through like a fucking crazy person, like <laughs> doing different tones. Like it's like, okay, for this part, I'll just like plug in this, try to do it as fast as I can. I'll have like them all on a table and like all the cables and just like just pedals flying fucking everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do love going mad science on the, uh, mad scientist on the, uh, guitar tones because i try to do it fast because <laughs> people are sitting there like and we're in the moment i try not to spend too much time on things yeah fair enough are there any uh go-to amp combos that you like i i makes me feel like corny but i really like just like the low wattage marshally stuff like the jmps and like anything that sort of does that like low wattage supros uh I have a hand-wired AC30 that I love. Uh, I have an AC15 at home, just as my home amp, because I just love the sound of that, like, clear, punchy electric guitar. Yeah. Obviously, like you just said, by why didn't this chorus get all distorted? And I do like that. Don't get me wrong. I, I do plenty of that. But uh, as a starting point, it's that kind of stuff. For sure. Well, and, and you're also a guitar player, too, so you would have that natural inclination to have a specific sound. I guess it is like, in, it's a sound that you probably like would gravitate towards in your mind. I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 Cool. Uh, another thing about your records that I really like is the, the sound of your snare drums. Dude, like snare, to me, like I'm a, as you could, as you know, I'm a drummer and like snare is the one thing that to me on a record, like it always drives me nuts getting, getting the right sound. Um, but the thing that I found with your snares is, is that they always, they always sound really meaty. Um, they sound really nice. They got a lot of good body to them um, with just enough top end bite to like cut through the mix, but without it being obnoxious or being too bright. Um, so I'm curious to know, like when it comes to getting a great snare tone, what's your typical process for that as well? That is something I'll spend time on because as you know, it's the thing you'll hear sometimes multiple times a second for the entire song. And if I, and if we're going to like keep if we're just at drums and then we have to do all this stuff after and then I have to spend what I say 12 hours mixing something after that and the fucking snare drum isn't right like no bueno <laughs> I'm not going to be able to pay attention it's going to drive me <laughs> fucking nuts yeah uh, it, so it, it, I'll definitely spend time on it uh, I've hired a uh, a while ago, I would bring my friend Shane to drum tech for certain projects because I just liked the way he tuned drums. And so it was worth it for me to bring him. Um, unfortunately for him, I learned a lot from him and got good at it. So I don't bring him <laughs> as much anymore. Uh, and then on top of that, once I learned how to get a, put the drums where I want them, I found not drum dial, tune bot. Uh, and that's great because you're in the middle of the session and you, we're keeping the guitars, we're keeping the bass and it's like, oh, you know, you're, it's 
the eighth hour of the day and it's like is is the snare right is the is, did the rack tom drop uh that's great because then i can just run in there put the tune bot on it and be like oh it did drop you know i, I don't have to like overthink things or it's like they're smoking cigarettes i'll just go in there and grab the tune bot and just check to make sure everything's where we agreed it sounded the best it's like oh fuck like the the floor time dropped like you know a significant amount in that last song because it was very floor timey yeah and for people who don't know what the tune bot is it basically it's like uh it reads out the frequencies of every lug on your drum so that you can yeah you could see if it detuned or what happened with it and easy to recall those same settings because you just dial it back to that same frequency that you had initially chosen so that's very cool i like that you yeah. use that no it's awesome because it's not going to tune it for you but it'll like keep it where you want it yeah it's funny i had the drummer of august burns red on the podcast a while ago and uh he he was the first one that told me about like i, I knew of the tune bot but i i didn't really know anyone that was using it on a regular basis and he was telling me about how he uses it for everything they use it live they use oh, the studio. Yeah. and uh and after that episode i ended up buying one and yeah it's great man i love it like it's 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 such a handy tool to have and uh it, it definitely like it's great to be able to recall settings and like have you know you can save different drum kits for a drum kit preset so you can have a whole bunch of sounds already pre-stored and you know just a matter of tuning to those frequencies it's great for that yeah and it, i i just like it because it's midway through the day towards the end of the day like i'm the drum tuner and the engineer and the producer my ears are like not tip top i can still listen for mistakes but like once we got the tones like you know there, there's a there's a slight dullness coming over my ear so i cannot maybe necessarily pick out every with all these harmonics flying around in a drum and I'm trying to tune it and it's like dinner time. It's hard, but having that thing there is just like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you find that you, are you the type of person that likes to tune drums to like the key of the song or, or does that no. matter to you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you just go for whatever sounds. I, best I just, yours. yeah, I start tuning things. I make sure the toms feel like they're living in a similar world, but yeah. As far as, uh, going back to the snare like do you do you have a preference for how you tune your stairs like do you like to have them low tuned or like what, what's that normally look like for you crank in the bottom uh a little bit of length on the the uh snare wires themselves to get you know depending on the tempo but i do i do usually like to have that as an option the longer decay of the snare wire even if it's like a fast song like I just feel like it sounds like music to me. It makes it sound real. Uh, and the top, it depends. on. It's pretty, it's maybe tempo related. Like if I know there's some songs that are like a slightly different vibe or a different tempo, I'd be like, hey, let's do them first or do them last or at least do them together. And then I'll like probably drop, drop the pitch or use the big mm -hmm. fat snare. I like that. That, that guy's a sort of a secret, Those are cool. secret weapon, like indie rock crack. <laughs> Thud. You know, it just it just does the thing. Yeah, those things just like are instant beef when it comes yeah. to the snare drum. Yeah, I mean they 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 tune your drums down quite a bit, but yeah, they they definitely have that fatness to it. Yeah, and they're, they it, it can be good for like an inconsistent drummer too. Like even if it's not even if it's not the move or the sound of the drum, if a drummer's like a little like not always hitting in the center and all the hits are not like maybe the same volume like. That kind of stuff, like really, my ear just goes there and I have trouble paying attention to other things. I might just throw that on there and be like, problem solved. Like, it's not the perfect drum sound for this, but like, it's a consistent 
more consistent snare hit each time. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a that's a good observation because yeah, it definitely does kind of give you a more consistent volume overall. The volume the, thing, yes. Like, yeah, it's, I mean it's basic, it's a dampener. Yeah, that's all, that's all it is, right? So yeah, you're you're dampening things so that they sound more consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a very cool observation. I like that a lot. Um, and it's interesting you bring that up because one thing that I that I thought I was hearing on a lot of your records is that. I thought I was hearing saturation on the snares. Is that something you like to like to add, or is that is that maybe just that big fat snare drum? Because sometimes sometimes that in itself makes it sound like it's saturated. Uh, there's always there's rarely is there not saturation on a parallel snare or on a parallel drum bus. Gotcha. Like usually, I'll, I'll in the template. There's a parallel kick. There's a parallel snare, and then there's a parallel all the drums. And then I'll mess with how much of each thing I send to that the parallel, all the drums. And the kick and snare always start off muted. And then I'll bring them in as needed. Because I, I like having them on separate things because the the decays are different. Mm-hmm. So if like, there's like a double kick and then a snare, like you don't want the parallel compressor to be reacting to not even like gone back from that last kick drum before the next snare hits. So having them like being able to give the snare drum length on its parallel or drive it crazy with some compression. I have to like, like it's not going to go if like a kick drum's coming right after it. So that way I can sort of dial in the, the decay and it's anger level. That's cool. It's I like Saint that. anger level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just throw a Saint anger sample on everything. Yeah. And then you get, you get great drum sounds. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. that's very cool. And I, I, I haven't heard anyone explain it like that, but uh, that makes a lot of sense that, yeah, if you have, if you're just sending everything to one drum bus, then of course, yeah, if you, you're going to lose that that uh, customization of the parallel for the kick and snare, I guess, you know, because they're they're feeding off each other as a, yeah. as a group. Yeah, and the attack and the attack and release times, like I, they're usually different for the kick and snare for me. Hmm. No, that make that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm gonna have to add that to my template. I like that. <laughs> nice. Um, do you with your drum uh, parallel channel? Is it usually just like, are you the kind of person that sends the entire, like you'll send symbols and shells to it, or do you just sell, send the shells to it? Like I know some people don't like adding symbols to their parallel channel because maybe it makes it too washy, that kind of thing. What's, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it, it depends if the parallel is a compression or a distortion. It, it, it's yeah. all dependent. Usually I'll have the uh, like overheads like pretty low. Like I'll add it in there like a little bit. Um, like a hi-hat will be in there a little bit. Uh, a kick might not be in there as loud as other things, but it, I, I, I mess with that. Like I pull up all those on the, the sends on the faders and just sort of close my eyes and see where I like, see what I see how pushing into the compressor or the distortion is reacting. Yeah. Like if there's a hi-hat mic, I'm not fucking sending that. Yeah. No one wants to hear more hi-hat anyway. No. God, I, why did I put that there? <laughs> <laughs> uh do you have any go-to's for saturation on drums? Yeah, what do I oh what is, what is on the template? The uh, the black box I like, the plugin alliance. Um I'm uh, if if it's not a fast song, Devil Lock is my it just makes things sound crazy. I love it. Uh those are prob those are probably like the main Dirts I use on drums. 
I think. There's something else in the template. I'm drawing a blank right now. But yeah. Oh, yeah, those are all those are all pretty good ones and they'll give yeah. you quite a range of sound for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, man, I, I you know, it, it's it's I love learning more about people's templates and how they've got it all set up because it's just uh yeah, there's so many different like, like we were talking about earlier, there's so many different ways to approach it. And uh, you know, when you when you have someone who can explain why they build their template the way it does, it, it like gives you all sorts of new ideas for for what you can do and how do you how to experiment within your own session. So that's very cool. Um I guess at the end of the day, when it comes to um, when it comes to these mixes, like you know, like I asked you earlier with like what makes a great song, like what in your opinion makes a great mix? When I'm going fuck yeah, when I'm like I crushed it, I when when I like it, you know, like that's a, or, or, that's or a like great answer. <laughs> I usually we're, we're, working working from home is a double edged sword for sure, uh, but I'll. If I'm actively in the middle of a mix, I'll um, I'll leave it on, and so it's I'll make it I'll go have dinner and like not work on music for three hours or something. Uh, but I'll always come back and hit play or or bring up one of the other mixes and just like listen to it, listen to the bounce and like make some notes or and that that's usually when I'm like we're good, like I love this. Or I'll use that song to like reference the other ones. Like, does it rip as hard as this third one I mixed? Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. That's uh, a great answer. <laughs> right on, man. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, so we could probably start to wrap things up here. But uh, if people want to learn more about you and the productions that you do, or maybe even potentially work with you, what's the best way for them to to follow you online? I believe there's a JoeReinhardt.com. <laughs> Uh, it's, be- it's best sandwich ever on Instagram, and yeah, it should be. If you put band or music next to my name, it, it should it should come up as Google. It should yeah. come up in Google. Yeah. By the way, I love your Instagram handle. It was great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Well, well, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, and uh, yeah, it was great learning more about your process and learning more about your templates and how you have everything set up. And uh, yeah, I definitely think that there's a lot of great stuff here that people could take from this episode. So thank you again. Thanks. I hope so. I mean, yeah, I. I learned it from someone else. And that's the thing that, like you were saying, it's like you just collect the info and then you do whatever works for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, right on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Good talk. Yeah. So that was my interview with Joe Reinhardt. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed learning about how he sets up his sessions. And I thought it was very cool to learn more about his templates and how he does things. And definitely there was some stuff in there that I'm going to implement into mine. I really like that idea of having a separate parallel channel for your kick and for your snare. Because, you know, he's right. Like, you know, your kick and snare, they kind of work like a call and response of each other all the time. Usually you have like a kick that's followed by a snare that's followed by a kick and a snare. They kind of always go back and forth. That's how most drum grooves are set up. So by having each of those on its own separate parallel channel, it really allows you to shape the sounds and the sustain to fit the sound that you want, right? You can make your snare sound longer. You can make it sound shorter, whatever you want. You have a lot of flexibility when they're separate. So I really enjoyed learning about how he did that and uh, also learning about just his whole process in terms of how he tackles guitars and how he tackles drums, all that kind of stuff. And I also really resonated with what he was saying earlier on in the conversation about working with bands and producing those songs and making sure that everyone is paying attention to what the other musicians in the band are doing. That is definitely one of the biggest problems that I see whenever it comes to producing bands. And so next time you're working with your band, 
make sure to strip things down for a bit, you know, maybe play your song acoustically and listen to the little details that everyone's playing, you know, make sure that everyone's playing the same rhythms, the same strumming patterns that, you know, your kick and your bass are lining up with each other. All these little details that make a band tight, they're sometimes really hard to hear in a big loud room. So I love that Joe brought that up because it's so important for any band that's going into the studio and for anyone who's trying to self-produce their songs, you always need to get that fresh perspective and not just hear that cacophony of sound in a rehearsal space. So um, yeah, I, I thought that that was really cool that Joe brought that up too. So yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. I hope that you did as well. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live each and every week. And if you're struggling to get your home recordings to sound as good as your favorite artists, and you're not sure what steps to take to get your music to get to that level, and you're looking for someone who can give you personalized advice in terms of what you should be doing with things like EQ, compression, volume, etc., then I want to tell you about my coaching program, Amplitude. Inside of that program, you get one-on-one personalized advice and guidance. I walk you through exactly what to do with your mixes. Whenever you have songs done, you simply send them to me. You have a direct line of communication with me. You'll get personalized videos showing you exactly what you should do with your tracks. There's in-depth training to help you master the different mixing tools and to help you start to work faster and build templates that are going to help you get better results faster and feel way more confident in your process. There's also mastering in this program. There is just so much stuff jam-packed inside of Amplitude, and I would love to work with you inside of it. So if you're the type of person who's currently working on a new project and you want to take your mixes to the next level, you want to gain way more confidence in the steps to take, what tools to use, all of that kind of stuff, then definitely make sure to check out Amplitude. Visit MasterYourMix.com forward slash Amplitude, and I'd love to show you a demo of what you can expect inside of the program. So if you're interested in learning more, again, visit MasterYourMix.com forward slash Amplitude, and there's a little form at the bottom. Just fill that out, and I would love to show you around and talk more about how I can help you inside of this program to make sure that you're getting the results that you're looking for. So with that said, we've reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the very end. And I can't wait to chat with you in the next one. Talk soon. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at masteryourmix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit masteryourmix.com. 